The following talk was given by Bear Gokon Bonnebacher at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokon is a senior monastic and dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. He serves as director of operations at Zen Mountain Monastery and also helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Buddha said, looking after oneself, one looks after others. Looking after others, one looks after oneself. How does one look after others while looking after oneself? By practicing mindfulness, developing it, and making it grow. How does one look after oneself by looking after others? By patience, non-harming, friendliness, and caring. This is a teaching that comes from a short sutra. And it's a short sutra, but it has a little bit of a story in it. And it's one of these places in the sutras where I, that I enjoy, where you get, I feel like there's this little window into what things were like at the time of the Buddha. And so the story is that there was a bamboo acrobat and his apprentice. And the apprentice has a name in the sutra, um, Medaka Talika, which trans translates as frying pan. And it seems that the act was that the acrobat would climb up to the to top of a bamboo pole, and then frying pan would climb up after him and climb up onto his shoulders. And I don't know what they did once they got up there. That's not said. But presumably, there's a little bit of, a, of an act that they're doing. And I picture this in a town, maybe in, sort of in the, in the market or on the side of the road, a bit of a crowd gathering around. And maybe they're a little nervous. It's dangerous. And so in the sutra, it says, the acrobat says to frying pan, frying pan, climb up. And you take care of me, and I'll take care of you, and then we'll be able to do our act safely, climb down, collect our fee, and go home. And Frying Pan replies, no. No, Master, that's not the way. You take care of yourself, and I'll take care of myself. And that's how we'll be safe, and climb down, and collect our fee, and go home. And in the Sutra, the Buddha seems to say, first, that frying pan is right, but then gives this teaching, kind of saying they're both right. You're taking care of yourself, you take care of others. Taking care of others, you take care of yourself. There is establishing mindfulness internally, and there is establishing mindfulness externally by taking care of others, by caring about others. I used this passage, um, I guess, a, a couple of few years ago, and um, found in the um, earliest translation, which is the published book form translation, um, um, 
I believe that frying pan is not given a name, um, or is, but then I, I looked in the note, and in, in, the, in the translator's note, he said, there is a feminine ending on this name, but it must be a boy. And so I'm giving it a masculine, I'm, calling, I'm giving it, I'm identifying it, um, frying pan as a boy. And encountering this, I realized, oh, she's being erased. More recent translators say it's quite clear, of course it's a girl, right? How many other women have been erased from the records, forgotten in this way? And last time, I couldn't say it. I had this in my notes to tell this story, and it was like my throat got stopped up by the patriarchy. So the Buddha says, Looking after oneself, one looks after others. Looking after others, one looks after oneself. This is where I can work, this body and mind, where I can make change. I can't change you or anyone else. That's your work, your responsibility. I affect others, the world, through my thoughts and words and actions. The Buddha says, I am heir to that. That is, in a sense, who I am. And that's my responsibility. I am responsible. We are interdependent, mutually dependent, mutually conditioned, conditioning, constantly affecting each other more connected than we can see, than we can know. Sometimes in my personal liturgy, I say something that I created some years ago. May we each learn to take care of ourselves. May we each learn to take care of each other and to care for each other. May we learn to take care of this earth. The four measurables as I first encountered them. Say, may I and all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May I and all beings know happiness and the root of happiness. May I and all beings live in sympathetic joy, rejoicing in each other's happiness. May I and all beings live in equanimity, free from bias, attachment, and greed. And when I first encountered the four measurables in this form, it was the third one that got me, that, that felt like kind of the tough one. And that there was a question there, well, of course I would, of course I want others to be happy, right? And feeling how so often that wasn't actually what was happening in me that that didn't actually come naturally. And realizing that that's why that's there. 
That's why that is one of the immeasurables. That this teaching, this practice teaching is a mind turning, is meant to help us turn our minds. Knowing in the teaching, pointing to, acknowledging, that's not always what comes first. We are so often caught up in our own concern, concern for our own happiness, our own desires, caught up in our own suffering, blinded by our greed and jealousy and pride. Everyone wants to be happy, to be at ease in their lives, to be at peace and harmony. Can we all be happy? Is this in some ways, are we in competition somehow? Our happiness mutually exclusive somehow? Looking after oneself when looks after others. Looking after others when looks after oneself. How does one look after others while looking after oneself? By practicing mindfulness, developing it, and making it grow. Another translation I saw said, we look after ourselves by practicing mindfulness, by developing it, and doing it a lot. We look after ourselves by practicing mindfulness, and this is good for others also. Really, there is no practice without mindfulness. No letting go, no progress, no change, no possibility of change. Mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening in our body-mind. What's happening? In the Buddha's teachings on original, foundational teachings on mindfulness, it's very simple. It says, extending your arm, know that you're extending your arm. When there is a mind of desire, know that there is a mind of desire. When you are angry, know that you are angry. So knowing all aspects of our experience, listening in, listening into our body and mind. And this is a continual practice because it is moment to moment. What's happening? What are we reacting to? What are we feeling? Am I scared? Am I anxious? Uncomfortable in some way? body and mind? Am I feeling insecure or jealous? Is my mind caught in some desire? And it's a continual practice because it is moment to moment and because there are, as far as I can tell, layers and layers of subtlety can see it, and then what's happening more, more, more deeply. There's always that question, what is happening? Because if I don't know, if you don't know, if we don't know, then we're kind of flying blind, acting and reacting out of our 
these feelings, these experiences of fear and aversion and desire, wanting, kind of all of the time. Just seeing that, seeing this, is transformative, can be transformative, is really important. Seeing into how we work, that we are constantly, constantly reacting to things outside that seem to be outside and to things that seem to be inside. That we are constantly seeking and grasping and trying to get away from, avoiding, pushing away, cutting off, ignoring, numbing, kind of swerving back and forth. In the Tibetan teachings, they talk about hope and fear. We're constantly swinging from hope to fear, hope to fear, caught in one or the other. And so mindfulness gives us a window in. It is the way in. Body and mind listening in, looking. Allows us to see how one thing leads to another. To see our habits, our habitual reacting and turning and acting out of. There's no hope of changing habits if we can't see that there is cause and effect, that there is a cause of my thoughts and actions. Ideas that come from something, they are conditioned. I think this is kind of the foundation of the whole endeavor, all of this. It's this understanding of cause and effect, which we often call karma. Because of this, there is that. Because of that, there is this. And that means that if I change this, then that changes. If there isn't this, then there won't be that. It means we are not fixed in our ways, in our habits. Our habits are not inevitable, permanent. When we don't know this, I think there can be a fear of ourselves, fear of parts of ourselves. I was remembering this guy who I knew in college whose nickname was Happy. And I didn't know him that well. Um, We were on a team together for a little while. And I remember, I don't think I really knew why he had that, that was his nickname, until I saw him lose his temper once. And we were just out on the field and he was like in his duffel bag and like trying to find something and couldn't find something. And he just like totally lost it. And he was like throwing his stuff around and throwing himself around. And I kind of just watched and remember realizing that how, how scared and ashamed of, of ashamed he was when it sort of passed and he came back and he knew what had happened. He knew we had, uh, we had seen it happen. I imagine that he felt like he, he couldn't help it. He was not in control. So much of the teachings, many of the teachings point us to places where we get stuck 
where we cause suffering for ourselves and for others. And so the kleshas, identifying the emotions, the places where we get stuck, the binding emotions they're sometimes called, difficult emotions, greed, anger, pride, jealousy, confusion, and all of the tributary streams of those emotions, variations and shades of those emotions. And teachings point to them because they can be binding and because they create, when we are caught in them, we create difficult karma. We create karma, we create harm, cause harm. You know, I was thinking about that, that term that is used, that they are binding emotions. But how is it that they are binding? And just to kind of feel, to think of how the times when it, when it feels like we are just caught up in something, in an emotion. So think about happy. You know, so sometimes it is so obvious. Maybe in ourselves, maybe it's just afterwards we, re- we, we feel it. Maybe it's seeing it in someone else, that we're just caught up. A lot of times it's not so obvious, right? It's harder to see that we are caught and seeing through our, the emotion that is, that is binding us, that, it, that we are caught in, how our mind our perception, our view, is colored by what we are caught in. That when we are caught, we're not seeing anything outside of that, actually. Not seeing the rest of ourselves, the wholeness of ourselves. Not seeing others. It's all colored. So the Buddha's teaching on mindfulness And there's a mind of desire, knowing there's a mind of desire. Finding our way into that, learning to see that, whatever it is. One of my sort of habits of mind that I used to get stuck in, and still get stuck in, and and still get stuck in, in in different shades, um, it's kind of just a tightness and a wanting to be in control. Often this comes out as wanting to be in charge. And I was thinking about um, um, just reflecting on how um, that was when I started, you know, so I didn't know that until I knew it. I couldn't see it until I started to be able to see it. And then becoming aware of it sometimes by other people pointing it out, explicitly or not, just seeing how others were reacting to me, and starting to be able to feel it in myself, to feel the tightness in myself, and how particular situations I would get tighter, particular interactions, particular relationships, and feeling how that was uncomfortable for me too. 
but not being able to see that I could do, it was like, okay, here comes the situation again, and it's going to happen again. I can feel it coming. Feeling like there was nothing I could do about it. And so sometimes trying to just avoid situations where I knew it was going to happen. I remember there was time when I was, um, I think this happened during a session, and I was monitor, and it either was one of these things that like happened at the end of a dokasan where Shugan was like, and by the way, or where he called me in um, for a particular, like, by the way. And I don't remember the details. Someone, I think someone had complained about an opinion I had expressed or a, a way that I had handled a situation. And I remember kind of like feeling the like, what do I do? And saying, okay, I just won't have an opinion. I'll just keep it to myself. And that's going to make this better. And he said, no, right? You're monitor. You've been assigned as monitor. It's your job to have an opinion and to take care of situations and to work with other people, to take care of other people, to take care of the zendo. And so... I had to find a way. I had to learn that this habit that happened in my body and mind could loosen, could change, that it was not inevitable that it would happen. To learn that sometimes I could, I could feel that it could happen, it could come up in me, and I could do something different with it. I could not react to it, to what was happening in my, in my body and mind. To have a question when it is arising, knowing it is arising, what's happening? What's happening? What is this? It's so important to learn that we can change that things are workable. Everything is workable. Everything is created as a result. So we don't have to be afraid of anything that arises in our body and mind, any parts of ourselves. And we have to realize this for ourselves. And I was sort of like, a while ago, I I was sort of like, just kind of like feeling that truth. How do we learn that we can change? Because it's so important. It's like, that's how, that, that's, then we can practice. Then we can like, then everything is workable. But how do we learn that we can change? So I was talking about this and asking Shoan, and she said, by changing, by changing. How do we learn that we can let go? That it's actually possible to, to let something go? By letting go. How do we learn that we can be intimate, that we can be inside of a, a moment, an experience of an action? By being intimate. How does one look after others while looking after oneself? By practicing mindfulness, developing it, and making it grow. 
How does one look after oneself by looking after others? By patience, non-harming, friendliness, and caring. The Buddha says we should establish mindfulness through caring about others. And so there is the turning inwards, looking inwards, establishing mindfulness in our own body and mind, the what's happening right here, the direct seeing of zazen, seeing our mind. Learning that that can be a place, that is a place of transformation, of loosening, of letting go, of change. The taking care here is taking care is good for others. And he says to look outwards, to study our minds in relationship, to study other minds. And so in this teaching through patience, non-harming, friendliness, and caring, There was an outward turning. What is a relationship to another? How do we affect affect each other? Knowing my mind, can I know the mind of others? Understand the mind of others? Paying attention to others a kind of outward body and mind listening. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I learn? What has to happen in order for me to actually see others, to see an other? So the precepts are another important teaching, which again, point us to places where we get in trouble where we cause suffering. And to see how much the precepts are about relationship, are about our relationships, how we are in relationship. They are about establishing mindfulness by taking care of others, being aware of others, being aware of our effect on others. Practicing the precepts, we practice mindfulness by taking care of others. We can't practice the precepts without mindfulness. I can't work with anger if I don't know when I'm angry, when there's anger in my mind, body, mind. I can't work with judgment of others, with stinginess, unless I know that when it is in my body and mind. I can't work with judgment and blaming others, unless I know, can feel in me what's leading to that, feel my insecurity, my fear, anxiety, the threat that someone else seems to pose. Are they going to get what I want? The approval, the attention? I think sometimes when I Reflect when I recite the precepts, hear the precepts. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Why these two precepts write one after another that are so similar? Again, because we get caught here, 
And there are different variations, shades of this. Why do I elevate the self, myself, and blame others? Why do I point to others' errors and faults? What does that do for me? What's happening in me when I do that? Leads me to do that. Make me feel better somehow. The comparing. If I can point to others' faults. Does it make me feel better? Can we see how closely connected our suffering is to the suffering of others? Are they different? How are they different? For me, hearing how critical I was of others, hearing what I was saying out loud, helped me to hear what I was saying inside, to myself, about myself. Being able to hear that and feel that and feel what was doing to me inside. Then also looking outwards. What does it do when I say that to someone else? And how does it feel in me? Does that, when I am being critical of someone else? The precepts pointing us to when we turn away from wholeness, separate ourselves from our connectedness. What happens when we return? Learning that we can change, learning that I can change, that also means others can change. I know from my own experience, everything is workable. Knowing my nature, I have some insight into your nature, the nature of others. Is this hard to see? Is this so hard to see how connected we are? Why does it seem to be so hard to see? I ask that question of myself. I feel like this is a this is a live question. How is it that liberating others is liberating myself? Freeing myself is freeing others. Is it? In that time when I tried to tell Shugan that I just wouldn't have any opinion, it was during a period of some years where I was monitored quite a bit, and monitored during session quite a bit, and feeling in myself, in, in my own practice, that I was finding some stillness and finding, and really needing that, and really wanting that, and really wanting to like settle and deepen in my zazen. And feeling some conflict in wanting that and feeling like needing to protect that and then having this responsibility of being monitored. I remember telling Shugan, you know, it's like I can like find this piece and then there are all these people that I have to deal with. And I remember there were times it's like I didn't want anyone to talk to me. I didn't want the other monitor to talk to me. I was just like, Leave me alone, I'm trying to like practice. And there was truth to that, that is what I needed. And it took a while to realize how much I, I was learning, how much I learned from all of the other stuff that I was dealing with, from all of the other people, from taking care of 
the zendo, taking care of the sangha, from meeting all of the people who would come to me, sometimes with a complaint and be upset with me, meeting the upset in myself and all of the times when I was complaining about others and upset with myself for being upset and seeing the conflict between that and what I was looking for and what I was finding inside. And so then realizing, wondering, so who, who, who is this for? Right? Taking care in that role that I had been asked to do, in that job that I'd been asked to do. Am I doing that for others? I'm doing that for others. I'm taking care of others. And look what it's doing for me. How transformative it is for me. Is that for me or for others? Practice gives us a way to work at the most fundamental level. To go to the root of, to go to the root. All of the suffering of the world comes from our, from our individual, each of us collectively. All of the suffering in the world comes from our self-centeredness, from our greed, anger, and confusion. It all starts there. It is created and so can be liberated. Everything is workable. There is a way. There is a way. Do good. Don't do harm. Do good for others. It goes to the root, is working at the root. Taking care in a fundamental way. We can have faith in this, take refuge in this. Take refuge in knowing, trusting, that taking care of myself is taking care of others. Doing good for others, doing good in the world, is doing good for the world. It's doing good for the world. We can do that. We do do that. We can cultivate that. Dr. Larry Ward, Ward says, care for yourself, love yourself. Because as you love yourself and care about yourself, that love will leak out. It will spill out all around you in the fragrance of wholeness. In the fragrance of wholeness. So I want to end with a revised version of my personal liturgy. May we each learn to take care of ourselves. May we each learn to love and heal and accept ourselves. May we all learn to take care of each other. May we all learn to love and accept and care for each other. May we learn to take care of this earth. May we learn to love and hold and accept her. May we learn to hold her in the way that she holds us.
Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.